so as we know, Disney very much have their their claws, their jewel encrusted claws into <laughs> Marvel. What kind of Disney villains do you think would work really well in like a Marvel film, like in an Avengers film? So my favorite villain of all time and who the one I most relate to <laughs> is Yzma from Emperor's New Groove. Oh my God, <laughs> I didn't and even think I, of her. Yeah, I love her because she's, she's, she's a villain but you can kind of see where she's coming from. She's also very like pragmatic and smart and she's a scientist, she has her lab. Um, so she feels very Marvel villain-esque and she's got a little sidekick who's quite brute. She's kind of a cool, empowered female. She has a sub, yeah, subsidiary. I mean, I say, you say smart, she's, she is smart in herself, but she's not so smart that she has a smart sidekick. She no. has a pretty stupid sidekick. <laughs> I think she's gone for eye candy there. Maybe she doesn't want a smart sidekick. She thinks they might overthrow them. I like to think the best of her. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that is quite calculating of her, isn't it? Mm. And I feel like she's one that only millennials really remember with fondness. I think she's she's sidelined by anyone else. But I think anyone who grew up throughout the Disney Renaissance, which, let's face it, is the most important period of history of all time. Yeah. <laughs> um, will know Yzma and know several jokes like pull the lever cronk like that. That one is just the greatest joke ever. Yeah. Wrong lever. <laughs> Wrong lever. I love her. I think she's very good. Um who else? Hades is quite fun. Like if you had like with the four films, he'd be quite good as a like sort of bringing in character there. He's pretty evil, but also quite funny. I feel like Hades is probably the most appropriate, as you say, like the Thor films mm. or the Thor mythology is based around the sort of Norse mythology. So mm. they could do a crossover with Greek mythology and be like, yeah. the Greeks are coming and Hades is, you know, the evil god of it or something. Yeah, that'd be really good. And then I think the scariest villain, you can correct me, and I'm sure you will, but my scariest villain was Frollo in Hunchback of Notre Dame because he just mm. seemed like he was pure evil and, you know, kind of Me Too era man as well. <laughs> so, I, I thought about Fro Frollo myself and I think that he would be best in a Netflix series. Yeah. Because he is very dark and very, um, yeah, very screwed up and has... I mean, there's the bit where he literally sniffs her hair yeah. and then imagines strangling her. It's very, I know, if you watch it as an adult, you're like, oh, why was I watching this as a child? This is as, as a child, I didn't get that at all. And it wasn't until later on that I saw that scene and thought, oh my goodness, he's he's totally screwed up. And then when he's um, seeing the image of her in the fire, I'm pretty mm -hmm. certain that like in an adult film, she'd be naked in that fire. Yeah. Well, they kind of hint, don't they? Because you don't really see clothes. So she's kind of like shrouded in flames. Mm. I think if you had him played by a Charles Dance in a live action Marvel situation, he'd be very dark. But I don't know how he'd be woven in, you know? Well, I mean, isn't it like Daredevil, Daredevil deals with like religion quite a lot. And like um, Jessica Jones has dealt with sort of powerful male figures who are corrupted by the power that they have. So I think he's he's very easy to weave into a Netflix series, but for a for a for a Disney Marvel crossover, I feel like he might be just a little bit too far. He's not quite a Loki, is he? <laughs> it's very true. Who would you who would you bring in? I thought, I mean, those choices are all good. I think to be honest, all choices can be woven in to some extent, but I think the villains with actual powers within themselves, like magical powers, would be the most appropriate because it's, you know, if you put, say, Governor Ratcliffe into it then all Thor has to do is just bash him with the hammer and then he's gone. 
you know. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking Ursula would be a really good one because I feel like she is very sort of superhero, supervillain-esque in that she's sort of part one creature, part another. She's quite campy. I say quite campy. She's very campy. She is literally based on a famous drag queen, isn't she? Yeah, she's based on Divine. And she's very, she's got sinisterness, but she's amusing at the same time. Um, and it's hard, like, it, yeah, it's just difficult to defeat her. Um, I feel like she, and her, her and Hades and Maleficent and people like that who have powers within themselves that they can use and who are just very sort of power hungry, I think. Um, I wouldn't have the evil queen for Snow White because I'm like, you're motivated by vanity and that's it. That's, Marvel expects I better than that. I always assumed that there was something else going on, like maybe Snow White was a bit precocious as a child and she just didn't like her. Maybe, yeah. Maybe she was a little shit as a mm. child, yeah. <laughs> maybe she still is, because she's, she's meant to be like 14 in the film, isn't she? Oh, God, is she 14? I think so, yeah. I, I could be wrong in that. <laughs> I hope that's not true. I'm trying to think who else there is. Um... Do, you want a, um, do you want an interesting fact that I discovered recently about Disney villains? Mm. Um, so Scar is... One probably I, by my count, he's one of just two Disney villains where you actually see them knowingly and successfully murder another character. Hmm. Who's the other one? Frollo kills Quasimodo's mother. Of course. Yeah, he does. Although he kind of makes it seem like it's an accident. Yeah, he it does. But he killed her. Like he, he, he literally like pushes her. Like she sort of falls onto the step and dies. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, you have a disgusting baby. I'm going to knowingly flush down a well. He's. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> And because a lot of them like attempt to kill or or something, but like mm. Scar and Frollo, and Scar is probably the most well-known in this, in that they actually successfully do it and they know what they're doing. But then I thought, does, does that make the hero worse? Because like I immediately, in my naivety, was like, the hero always kills the villain. And then I was like, no, wait, they don't. They I know this fact, they always fall. Yes. And <laughs> it's like a sort of deus ex machina kind of thing. Mm. And I was going through them. I was like, which villains are actually killed by a hero? Like knowingly murdered. We've got Maleficent. Yeah. Um, she is a dragon at the time. So I feel like that's, it nails it. She is a dragon. And I'm like, she's basically the devil. So you've got to do, you know. Yeah, you do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, who else was it? Uh, Shan Yu in Mulan. Ah, but he's very evil. He is very evil. She does fight, like her and Mushu fire a firework right into him and they make it seem like it's a really funny way for him to die as well it's like he just sort of goes off and then they're like oh fireworks lovely and you're like wait did he explode is that what happened? he explodes in fireworks it's the only way you can get rid of these mongolian huns coming across the border <laughs> and all these people by the way like ah oh it's blood oh. <laughs> <laughs> what does this mean what does this prophesize and who was the other one there was one more ursula Oh, they, they harpoon her or something. And Eric literally drives a ship like straight through her heart. Um, yeah. You could and, pretend he doesn't know. Yeah. He's, uh, he's got caught in a riptide or something, but I think he knows. Oh, no, he he very purposefully turns that turns that helm. There are some like low-key villains that are quite scary as well. Like, um, oh, what is his name? Clayton in Tarzan. Mm-hmm. He's quite dark. And I feel like he's very like the sort of secondary villain in a Marvel film because he's... He's not really got any power of his own, but he's motivated by greed. And yeah, and I suppose Ratcliffe is would be a good secondary villain because, mm. and both of them are like very human, and the the sort of the there's the underlying racism 
in them as well. Like they they distrust anything in this um, different country that they're in because they see it as foreign and dangerous when it's actually not. I mean, gorillas can be dangerous, but only if you scare them. Yeah, which they did many times. They mm. 100% scared them. And he does want to like shoot a gorilla and capture one, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And that's not nice. He tries to take Tarzan's mum, gorilla. He I does. Poor Glenn Close, yeah. Oh, Glenn Close. Glenn Close the gorilla. He stole him. <laughs> She's done such a wide variety of roles in her time, hasn't she? <laughs> she is. She is. That's why everyone was like, maybe she'll get an Oscar someday. And then Olivia Coleman just swept in there and was like, nope. <laughs> oh, and um, Marvel Goffle was the other one I was going to say. It's quite horribly, horribly dark. That's the tangled one, isn't it? Yeah. She's, mm. well, she's sort of, again, very human, but she does have powers, sort of. Yeah. I feel maybe secondary maybe like um a villain from the past yeah that's and sometimes they have flashbacks to like people who have treated them badly she'd be one like that mm. she was who made black widow who she is <laughs> yes yeah in the hospital with the kittens yeah it was her <laughs> it was her she also dies by falling and i would like to say she is murdered by that little lizard because he trips her on purpose with the hair i can't remember i haven't seen tangled in years actually so I can't remember what happens there. I always cry every time when the lanterns go up in the air and I don't even know why. I'm just, it's just so beautiful. It's just pretty and it inspires emotions, yeah. It does. <laughs> and every time I'm so ashamed of myself. How does, what happens to Prince Hans? He gets punched in the face. and so he, he doesn't die. He doesn't die. He gets taken back in a little prison cell for his brothers mm. to deal with him. And I only know that because I rewatched Frozen recently. It's surprising how many don't die. Jafar doesn't die. Ratcliffe doesn't die. Yeah, like you mentioned. Hades, Hades doesn't die. I mean, he's a god. But... He is dead already. Is he? He's undead. Is he? Or is he? Is he? Is he? Can you? Can you be undead if you can't die? I don't know. Now that's a question. <laughs> that's for a, the deeper, children. a deeper philosophical question than I was expecting on this podcast. Um, no, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe you're both. Maybe everyone who is immortal is also undead. Hello, and welcome to the Marvel Virgin a podcast all about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My name is Paul, and I'm a Marvel virgin. And my name is Kaylee, and I'm a Marvel whore. For each episode, Paul is watching a Marvel movie or TV series for the very first time. And with my help, we'll be delving into the good and not so good aspects of the MCU and navigating the secrets and intricacies of this big and complex universe. If you'd like to send in any questions, comments, factoids, or even if you'd like to correct anything we've said, after all, we're not perfect, then you can tweet us at the Marvel Virgin. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the show. So let me tell you a story. Go on then. When we watched, we watched Agent Carter season one, and I was like, I really like it. It's really fun, and it's got, uh, it's got a really nice story to it, and it was just, it was just really good times watching it. And I was like, why did they not make more than two seasons? That's so mysterious. And then I watched season two and I thought, <laughs> ah, this is why. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering how you'd respond to this one. I'm guessing not well. <laughs> it's it's pretty weak, let's okay. face it. The problem is also you're coming at it just after Jessica Jones and that is such an elevated adult feeling series. And this feels so cheesy in comparison. I was thinking that, but then... Um, I was trying to like keep Jessica Jones out my head because it, Jessica Jones was so strong and so dark that I kind of thought I can't expect that from Agent Carter. I've seen the first series. I know what it's like. And I kind of if I'm going to a, a Disney series, 
I'm going to have to expect a bit more sort of whimsy. Whereas if I'm going to a Netflix series, I've got to expect a bit more darkness. And that's the only expectation I can put on it. Hmm. Um, but I think with Agent Carter, um, it did have, it had the whimsy, it had the humour, it had the fun and the colourfulness. And that's all great. It just had a story that was so limp that yeah. there was just, it was so insipid. And I was like, you, all you've done has been like, there's dark matter. It's a bad thing. It makes explosions and they just have to get rid of it. And that's yeah. it. And a lot of people have said that the problem with Agent Carter is she's such a great character. They've never found a story strong enough for her to, to live in. I totally agree with that. I totally yeah. agree. Because she is, she's great in it. Like at the moment Hayley Atwell walks on, I'm like, okay, I'm engaged. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. I do also think having it in Hollywood makes it feel cheaper because it's all these old sets. So that I get they get saved money on special effects, but also. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know what you mean. Um, and I think that whenever they make things set in the 40s and 50s, they go for these really stereotypical um, characters. In mm. it. And I was thinking this, we watched a sort of a local, it was one of those kind of um, uh, regional production uh, musicals and it was a musical it was a production of Sunset Boulevard it has yeah. it's one of those mus musical productions where it has like someone famous from a soap opera so it had a, a guy from Hollyoaks in it um, <laughs> and we, we were like we watched it and and then we compared that to Glenn Close's very famous version of it mm. and we were like did you just cannot compare them because when you make they when they make something set in the 40s and 50s and they do this in musicals a lot the guys that everyone has a New York accent for starters, no matter where they are in America, everyone talks like this. And, yep. and they're gonna go shopping and have some coffee and stuff. All the girls have like really sheer red lipstick and red nails. And they're like, well, golly, mister, I don't know. And then the guys are all like, hey, toots, I've got a big suit on. And it's just full of all these characters like that. And I was like, Jordy, I don't think everyone spoke like Humphrey Bogart back then. I mean, we don't, we weren't there, but we can assume that that wasn't the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of musical, what did you think of the musical number? Because I mean, last week we mentioned that there's no Buffy musical episode for Jessica Jones. Mm. Ironically, I knew at the time that Agent Carter did. <laughs> but it has a musical number. It's kind of fun. It's kind of, that, that they they had the sense of fun. They had that musical number. They had, I liked the um, the character who owns the fake talent agency mm. and the doctor who she's kind of in love with and he wants to be involved um, and he's really bitter about not being involved and stuff. And he's called Dr. Sambly. And, and like Agent Carter herself gets a lot of funny moments. Like when she's trying to sort of bribe him with a cake and he goes, what's the catch? She goes, no catch, just cake. <laughs> and I thought that was really, like it fits like that were really funny. So it does have the sense of fun, but I think it needed an in, it needed like Russell T Davis to come along and make it more like David Tennant era Doctor Who, where there's a sense of fun, but there's mm. also a sense of urgency. There's a mis more of a mystery to it. Yeah. And you end up kind of crying by the end. Yeah, I did actually think there were a few Doctor Who-esque moments and I wonder if you picked up on them, like the crack constantly appearing. Mm. That was, which season of Doctor Who was that where the crack keeps appearing in different parts of the... That's in Matt Smith's era, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But I, it really reminded me of that, like it appearing on her head and appearing in the sky. And I feel like, it, yeah, it could have been a lot tighter. They definitely needed a 
I try to think, and I, I didn't really love the fact that they had that love triangle situation going on. I know it's a nice love triangle and that she wasn't a prize to be won. They weren't fighting over her constantly. Made mm. it a bit naff. I was like, Peggy is above this. And <laughs> I don't know why it's here. Yeah, who was the, it was her. It was the guy from the first season. Yeah. And the the guy, the doctor who gets affected by the dark matter and then loses his corporeality. Mm. That's a big word. Corporeality. <laughs> yeah, I it didn't. I I was also thinking, Peggy, you've got a choice between two very boring men mm. here, who have who don't know you that well, really. Yeah, they don't. Like I, the the scientist guy, Wilkes, his name is, isn't it? Mm. Um, he only knows stuff like two episodes. He's flirting quite a bit, and then he's zapped, and he's like, "I'm in love." Yeah, she kissed you once, man, and it was like as a deception ruse. If I were her, I'd be like, look, you, you've lost all bodily functions here. So you're, you're in a bit of a state. I don't think you really know what you're feeling or thinking. Right? At times I was like, she had much more chemistry with Jarvis. And I was like, he's married. So I like that they had that like relationship where it's like a meeting of the minds and they're allowed to be really good friends. And it's, there's no subtext there. They're just really mm. respectful of each other. But I, I, just, I just don't think that they really gave her... If you're going to make her have two love interests, at least make them both really compelling. The the most they really gave was to the, the police officer from the first season in that he's got a girl and then he's kind of in love with her. But then Peggy comes along and he's he's kind of torn between them. But we've seen this storyline in yeah. many other guises. And I quite like that his fiance though, who's the nurse, like she kind of sews up Peggy at one because Peggy at one point falls on a friggin' spike. And yeah. she's all like, oh, it just hurts a bit, but I'm going to limp anyway. I'm like, Jesus Christ, you're tough. And <laughs> um, she does sort of sew her up. And even though her fiancé is very obviously in love with her and she in love with Peggy and knows this, she is still like, Peggy, you go fight them. I'm on your side and stuff. And that was kind of yeah. cool. That is nice. I do. And I, I did. Like, I think the musical number did a good choice. Good choice. Good job of making it very clear that it was Peggy's choice. She's not being pulled between them. Mm. Like she's got the power in this situation which I think you don't normally see in these love triangles it's normally the two men at odds and the woman sort of just collateral damage it's what was that film that came out recently with Kira Knightley in um and it was basically a love triangle story set in World War Two. so it's like every single Kira Knightley film that <laughs> there is yeah. and the trailer I remember watching the trailer and the trailer just showed the entire story and it all ends with them fighting each other in the snow in the woods and it was yeah it, it just seemed to me to be just really cliche it's, it's just a it's a tale as old as time to quote <laughs> another disney film <laughs> yeah yeah it really is and i i felt they're both really insipid endings as well like Harry and wilkes didn't really have like a big they were just like oh well we if only we had met and i wasn't non-corporeal for most of the relationship and she's like yes that but I like I don't I don't like to dwell on what could have been, and then she just goes off and makes out with the other guy, and I was like, well, where'd that come from? Yeah, I felt very sorry for the actor who played Wilkes though, because because his he has no sort of corporeality. Basically, he gets affected by the dark matter, and it kind of turns him into a ghost, so he can't touch anything, and no one can touch him. So all he could do is just kind of stand there a bit awkwardly and say things, but he can't really move or he has no real sort of character direction because he can't interact with anything. And he has to do that for most of the 10 episodes, I think. I think, you know, when he's real, cause he starts eating sandwiches and stuff. Yeah. They make yeah. a big point of that, but it, yeah, he, I like the idea of it. And I thought it was very nice that they tackled racism in the 40, 40s, 
Yeah, 40s. Yeah, late 40s, yeah. yeah. But I, I just feel like doing it with just one person is such a a Disney tick box moment. They're like, oh, yes, we, we've dealt with the uh, diversity issue. We have a black character, Chick. Yeah. You know, well, you haven't really explored it and you've kind of not really given him much to go on. Like, it would have been almost nicer if they'd ended up together, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, it's... It's it's the yeah like you say the Disney tick box of like we've got one little character in it and that's it that's all you're getting but it makes us better and you'll and most people are like mm, no it doesn't it's <laughs> no. a bit like Princess and the Frog as well where the first black Disney princess becomes a frog for most of the film in this a black love interest becomes non-corporeal and can't touch the woman he's in love with for most of the film it should be called the princess is the frog. Yeah, it should, shouldn't it? It's misleading that title. You go in thinking, oh, you I think there's a princess and a frog when actually there's two frogs. <laughs> she's not even a princess. No, she's not. No, <laughs> it's really half-hearted, especially when pretty much all. Well, yeah, all the other characters are are white, as mm. far as I can see. I, I might be wrong in that, but um, no, I can't as far remember. as I could see, there wasn't there wasn't much variety in it. All the women looked the same. They all had the same hairdo. Again, like it's it's like they think the 40s was just the same hairdo, the same accent, the same behavior, the same lipstick, the same nails. Mm. Um and it and I I I I really think it was not, <laughs> considering <laughs> the population of the world. We'll look at some pictures after this and we'll be like, oh my god, it was. <laughs> it was just one person in the world at all times, moving around really fast. Everyone's trying to look like Ginger Rogers, I guess. Yeah. I th- felt it was lacking. Uh, the sort of energy that um, uh, Angie appears in the musical number, mm. for, who's the waitress friend, and that's all she gets. And I was like, "Why?" I get that you set it in LA rather than New York, but she could have made her way over and yeah. found a way in. She's a waitress. She wanted to go to Hollywood. It made sense that she would go with her. And I think not having that, like they kept, they were like, "Oh, we out." I did it. She comment on this. They're like, "We added two more female characters for her to confide in," and I was like. Yeah, but it's not, you gotta just keep giving her new friends. She needs her people. Mm. And Angie, Angie was one of her people and she, she could have used that. Like I know she made friends with Mrs. Jarvis. Yes. But you know, that's a very odd relationship in itself. Like she's a very odd character. Mrs. Jarvis, who has an accent that I could not place. They, they put it, they said she's German. And I was listening, I, I was like, I don't think that's a German accent. I looked up the actress, she's Dutch. So I was like, ah, okay. I thought she was from like Hungary or something. Am I wrong? The, well, I don't know about the, I thought the character was meant to be German. I that's thought. What I, mean. I thought the character was. Hang on, I'll look it up again. But I could be wrong. The, the actress is definitely Dutch. Well, I've got it. Her species is human. Hang on, I'm working my way through the list. The species, oh, well, we knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we know. Her status is alive. That's lovely to know too. Uh, although that was another thing that annoys me and I'm sorry because I feel like I'm just moaning mm. I hate that the big thing with female characters is they're either killed off or they're rendered infertile by some sort of horrible disaster you don't mm. even really see her dealing with this you just see Jarvis going she's very strong and I was like you get, yeah you get Jarvis yeah. dealing with it and not her and I was like she, excuse me she basically gets shot by one of the bad she gets shot by the bad woman yeah yeah, so that she she gets shot by her, um, and it, she's very much that female character of she sort of stays at, at home and she's there for if they need to go hide in the home. Hmm. 
Hmm. And she will help with that. And then they'll go off and have their adventures without her. And she'll be like, I don't like that my husband goes on adventures and nearly dies because I don't want to be left without him. And and that and that's kind of her her deal. So she gets shot, which makes her and she recovers, but she can't have babies. And that and you only see Jarvis dealing with that. Yeah. I thought that was really a really ca- a cold move from them. And it it just seems to me that's their method. They're like Oh no, Scarlett Johansson can't have children. I don't know if I call her Scarlett Johansson. Black Widow can't have children. She's like, mm. it's like that's the, the trope of infertility. And I don't think that's a very nice way of dealing with anything. I think when it's used so often as well, mm. not just in Marvel, but in various other shows and films, it becomes a little bit tiresome. And also, I don't know how much of this was written by a woman or by men, but... I just get the impression it's sort of written by a man thinking, oh, this is what women would go through if they found out they're infertile. And it's like, well, how do you know? Yeah. How do you know? She's fine, you know? by the way. She's optimistic and happy, according to Jarvis. And yes, great. her lipstick is still perfect. She's walking without a limp or anything. She's just fine. She's so strong. So strong. <laughs> she is so strong. I'm very proud of her. I, yeah. Hang on. I'm still looking it up. Stupid Anna whatever her name is, Anna Jarvis. Also, the the real-life Anna Jarvis is the founder of Mother's Day, if you're interested. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was like, does, do you think maybe they'll adopt? Like, I don't know. Like, Do they adopt in the future? Is that like going to be a plot line? I don't we'll know. never know, because they stopped the series. We'll never know, and I, I feel like it was a bit sad that they just didn't... I will find this. I saw a little flag, and it was like green, white, red. Or red, white, green. What is that? Oh, word? that's Hungary or Hungary or Austria. There we go. <laughs> oh, she's okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, still, the actress is Dutch, and I feel like the big surprise was her, with her was everyone thought this very, I don't know, like Emma Thompson in when she's in that film with Anthony Hopkins. They thought that was going to be the sort of Jarvis wife, but it's a very pretty woman from another. I don't know. I think which film is very, that? I don't is know. A, a room with a view? No. I can't remember. Howard's End? Is that Howard's End? It might be. She's just like a sort of maid. Like I'm thinking of someone like Downton Abbey, like one of the lead maids. You kind mm. of imagine that to be who Jarvis is with. And then the surprise is, oh, it's someone very exuberant and beautiful who is very tactile and surprised. I see, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Jarvis because he is very funny and very enjoyable, but I did find get a bit tired of the bumbling British idiots. When he comes in with his arms above his head at one point, you're like, <laughs> I know you are like a ninja though. You've shown us your moves. So why are you behaving like an idiot? <laughs> and I'm pretty certain that um, his, um, what was it? James Darcy who plays him has accentuated the voice even more since the first scene. He's gone from like, hello, I am Jarvis to nearly I am Jarvis. <laughs> Maybe you notice it more because he's in LA. <laughs> more surroundings are more shocking to that accent. He sounds more like in that character in The Simpsons that goes, yes. And I'm trying to work out how his age because we know he cared for Tony Stark in the future. Mm. But he's older than Howard Stark. Howard Stark hasn't even met his wife yet that we know. And... But this is where, like, we've discussed this before about the discrepancy in the age gaps. And we worked out Howard Stark makes sense, true. Hmm. But to be fair, Jarvis could have looked after Tony for, like, the first 10 years of his life, being aged about 70 to 80 and then died. Yeah, that's true, like an Alfred. Yeah, like Alfred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
you know, if if he had like such a good relationship with Jarvis, then he's going to remember him for throughout his teenage years and his older years, which is why he creates the Paul Bettany Jarvis. Mm-hmm. So that's all. It's totally kind of a weird thing to do, though, isn't it? I miss the man who raised me, so I'm going to create a robot with his name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I, yeah. As, as much as I'm tempted to do that with some of my old primary school teachers, I'm not going to. <laughs> Partly because you know it's wrong, but mainly because you can't, right? <laughs> like, imagine changing the voice of your Siri or your Google voice to, I don't know, it's someone like a, a grandparent that you lost when uh, you were younger or something. It would break my heart every time it spoke to me. I think I just cry so many times a day. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, you know, they're not really alive. It's a bit like in The Walking Dead where the governor has like his zombie daughter Mm. locked up and he keeps like wanting to hug her and stuff even though she's like rah, 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 rah. <laughs> yeah yeah there's <laughs> so many problems with all of this <laughs> i found like the weird thing with jarvis as well like they kept being very obvious that mrs jarvis was so cool with his relationship with peggy they kind of hammered it home a bit too often like there was a bit where he flipped her and he's got a pin down and mrs jarvis comes out oh he's very good at that yeah like, yeah and um I guess they have to do that a little bit because it, it. I think a lot of people watching will go in with this expectation of female rivalry over a man because mm. that's their own kind of prejudices coming through. So, but yeah, I think you're right. They did mention it quite a lot. And it's like, no female rivalry here. No sexism here. Tick, tick. Just, just be confident. We we believe you. We believe you the first time. She's a great, yeah. she's a great gal. <laughs> I believe her. And we've watched like two Netflix series by this point that are already a little bit more forward thinking. So we, we have faith in Marvel. Maybe not Disney, but we have faith in Marvel. <laughs> yeah, we know that not all women all claw each other's faces off over Jarvis of all people. <laughs> can you, yeah, can you imagine? I, I did wonder for a little bit whether they're going to create a bit of a love story between her and Jarvis. And I thought, like just because they're both British. I mean, they have, yeah. I think they're very respectful of each other. And I, I do really admire their friendship. Mm. Yeah. And I think that um, I did enjoy Jarvis and I like the banter that they have. Like, I think we're being very negative, but I did I did laugh a lot at some of the things they did. I think Hayley Atwell's comic timing is brilliant. She's very good. She is really good. And she doesn't end up making Peggy a laughing stock. Like she's <laughs> funny, but she's still sort of in control of things and um you you do feel safe with her being in the room like if she's got kidnapped by the bad guy you're kind of like oh yeah she'll be fine and you're kind of supporting her as well but also you like that she's got a sense of humor about it yeah definitely she's very dry and I love that she is very much the hero she's never the damsel in distress like when I can never remember his name Sousa yeah when he gets, you know, oh, I'm going to leave her, ah, I'm floating away. She is the one who jumps and grabs it and she's pulling him back. It's not the other way around. And yeah, yeah. And so that was also, very enormous turnip of them. Yeah, it was very enormous. We'll get to this ending in a little bit because I have another example of why I like her so much is in the first episode when she's interrogating, is it Dottie? Mm. The, the sort of Russian trained, um, super, super dangerous assassin. Yeah. The first season and like Dottie's all just trying to like throw her off completely and is very sort of self-assured but Peggy is like even more self-assured and knows that she she has the absolute upper hand and it just isn't afraid of her whereas Dottie is able to kind of um 
pull the rug out from underneath men's feet because they always underestimate her because she's a woman. And I think it, I think that was just really enjoyable to see that, see Peggy do that without it being too tick boxy. It was yeah. felt very natural. And it feels like she is cracking jokes at those friends. Like there was that bit where she's like, oh, so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I get distracted when I'm around books. And you're like, oh yeah, hold on. Oh my God. And the bit, oh, this made me laugh so much when she's trying to get something from um, the older business guy and she keeps having to zap him to eliminate <laughs> his memory. And because he keep, it only lasts a few seconds. So she keeps having to do it every now and then. And she's sort of sitting on top of him trying to find, I can't remember what she's trying to get. It's like a pin or a key ring or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that doesn't. She's she's getting a thing, and um, but so he keeps sitting up and saying like you know sleazy male things. So she just goes zap, 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 and I thought that was so brilliantly done. It was really, really funny. Yeah, I. You know what? I think it would almost work better her series if it was like one shot episodes. Yeah. So like more episodic, rather, and have an overall story arc that starts and finishes in the first and last episode, maybe. Yeah, because I feel that would be more satisfying seeing her solve like many little mysteries, fix everything up in the end. I like that her relationship with Stark is like very much like she just she rules the roost of him. Mm-hmm. And I think he's a good character to have because he is like proper chauvinistic bellend, but he's like a I don't it know. Is, I- but I'm just I'm so uninspired by Dominic Cooper as an actor. <laughs> he does like I said before, he doesn't have um Robert Downey Jr.'s effervescence. Wait, it's very forced because he's like when he turns up at that club and he's like, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> you're in the club and he brings them all in and then he's like, come with me, ladies, let's go back to my pool. And I was like, they wouldn't follow you unless it was in the script. No. <laughs> no. I mean obviously they wouldn't, but like with Robert Downey Jr., I feel like I would probably follow him. I guess so. <laughs> I guess I'll come. Why not? Thanks. The ending to this whole thing was this ridiculous scene where they need to like make an explode. They need to explode the dark matter explosion and the dark matter is coming out and something or other. Mm. Um, And it sort of ends with them like almost being sucked into it and they're all kind of pulling on each other. And it just felt really low budget. It did. felt so low budget. And like I said, I think that's because they're in this fake Hollywood set. So Mm. they don't have to spend a lot of money on special effects. It looks really cheap. And it also felt really unnecessary because I thought, you know, it was like an extra added ending almost. Like we'd kind of sorted it. And I know they had to sort out, I can't remember her name, bad woman. I know they had to catch her. Dottie? No. Or the the actual bad woman? The the actual bad woman. What's Mm -hmm. her name? Ah. I can't remember. The bad, bad, the bad villain, the villainess. Actor lady. Um, Yeah, I feel like it was, was her name Violet? No, that's the... um, Girlfriend, nurse, that's the nurse. This is not, you see, I'm not very good at names, apparently. That doesn't bode well for how well I enjoyed this series, does it? I, I don't remember most of their names, and I it was just because it was just so unmemorable and lackluster. Yeah. So it felt like the, the final climactic scene, it did feel like something you could watch on stage in like the end of a pantomime. Yes. It's sort of semi comedic, but sort of dramatic, but it's got really shite special effects. And then and really unnecessary little like quips as well. Like when Howard's grabbed her around the waist, I want you to know, I'm not thinking any untoward thoughts about you apart from that one. And you're like, uh-huh. I mean, we're literally being sucked into a black hole right now. Yeah. Back down. You, you can imagine him turning to the audience and going, oh, apart from that one, like that. And 
yeah and you can imagine like the um the the pantomime dame being at the back being like oh i haven't had this much fun since valentine's day (laughs) yeah and then it feels like they fixed it very easy we've got the car we'll just send the car in and i was like is it remote controlled the car like how does it know perfectly where it's going i know obviously there's a black hole i think it just shows how much how little effort was put into this story is Mm. that it's literally 10 episodes of them chasing dark matter and that's it I kind of want to bring Peggy to the future and have her like running her own bureau in nowadays. That would work better for me, I think. They needed to just to have a story that was, because we've seen this story, we've seen this story in every episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and every Marvel film so far done, but done in a slightly different way. And it's like they did the most basic and most simple Hmm. version of this trope of like a dangerous scientific substance that is falling into the wrong hands and they need to stop it the hands of a devious actress (laughs) yes yeah devious actress who has this backstory of being like super intelligent but constantly abused and underestimated which actually was quite a good backstory i quite liked her flashbacks yeah i i I like that too and i think that was they said that that's their big thing isn't it they've got her and wilkes and carter and all of them have had to go through a world where they're underestimated I guess with Sousa as well with his mm. um his limp like they're all characters who people don't expect a lot of but they are all amazing in their own way I did yeah I like that episode where you got um Peggy's flashbacks where you see her nearly getting married and then choosing not to and joining um mm. uh the, joining the, uh, the the organization that she joins uh, to fight the war because her brother dies in the war so she's kind of inspired and she nearly marries someone who is very sort of like Peggy would never do things like that she's going to be a housewife oh like that mm-hmm. and then you've also got the villainess who comes from uh, a sort of a background where her mum was going through various men her mum's very much like there's no there's no point being brainy and mathematical you just got to be pretty and that's all you can do and stuff and you you got a good understanding of them and it was a nice little comparison between the two characters but they didn't do anything with it after that they didn't have much they didn't really have in any scenes between them where they addressed that with each other yeah and it would have been nice because like they do interact a few times but I feel like by the second time maybe or the third time they interact like they're already very much like I must kill you yes <laughs> I don't want to understand you you just have to die and I have to end you because that's the only way forward in life yeah they didn't put that because like you say a lot of the the characters including the villainess are underdogs in this world and I liked the bit where um there was a team of them working together to infiltrate you had Peggy you had Sousa you had the talent agency woman and Dr. Sambly, who's like kind of her love interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had Jarvis. And they're all kind of a bit awkward and stuff. And in the midst of that, you got Chad Michael Murray, who's not the awkward one, but he's kind of learning that they've all got skills of their own accord. Yeah. And you had them as a team, as like an ensemble. And I think it would have worked better to have had that ensemble and have it more episodic, where they kind of have, like you say, they have an episode where they kind of solve a mystery or a crime and they end it with like a little joke and they all go, ah, ha, 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 and cut to credits. Yeah, I really think that would have worked a lot better. I wonder if they avoided that because of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. though, and they didn't want to be another Motley crew. Um, but everyone loves a Motley crew. I know, and it basically is the ultimate trope, like in every story, not just Marvel. Like it's a classic, one of the seven stories in the world, whatever it is, so. Yeah, and they could have, with with them being a group of underdogs, 
they could have addressed the fact that this the main villainess woman if we still can't remember her name is no, um, it's is also herself an underdog but she's gone in a different direction because of like her husband and all these sort of uh, businessmen who have underestimated her and are still doing it even though she can literally like dissolve them and suck them into her own body whitney <laughs> i don't know why i had to just jump in with that but it's been annoying me for a while <laughs> the bad woman is called whitney there we go it's very eastenders of me the way i said it as well whitney, whitney. <laughs> oh dear yeah i agree i think i would have much preferred to see that mm. they will write to them and tell them to bring it back but just do it better and let us write it because they left some things hanging at the end of it like chad michael murray gets shot by a mysterious assailant just a hand yeah and the, the redacted file of um peggy they never rectified the fact that the hypnotist guy was in prison with toby jones at the end of no, season one which feels like that should be a key part of this whole they plot. even had that in the season recap before the very first episode they even put that in i was like oh are they going to bring him back and then they never did i think it's just to remind you like toby jones might have hypnosis powers later God. yeah yeah maybe maybe they'll touch on these things i don't know i don't and yeah it just i think if they needed if they were going to do a sort of more of a saga story they needed something that was more groundbreaking like you say peggy going into the future would be really cool or yeah. just getting in more of the actual marvel characters that we know like somehow get captain america back into it or well that's all everyone really wants isn't it because yeah. I mean, they dance around all these other relationships, but it's quite clear, even though Peggy's very over Captain America now, it's quite clear that they're not over each other. Like he's not over her, she's not over him. But I, I guess it's difficult because it's set in the past and all the super, the main superheroes are in the present day. Yeah. But then it's science fiction, so you can just make up any old crap. Exactly. So yeah, that's my verdict on Agent Carter. I see why it was cancelled. He understands. Um, what would you what would you give it out of five? Season two is a two out of five. Mm. Season one is higher. Season one's a good 3.54 out of five. Season one was great. And also, I do think it is interesting that this one was longer, but felt longer for it. Like, sometimes mm. if you have a long series, you're like, oh, my God, we get more. But this sounds like, oh, my God, there's more. Because <laughs> it just didn't, it didn't really develop. It was sort of a repetitive, yeah. they infiltrate something, they find something, there's dark matter, it kills someone. Then they infiltrate something and they get something. They there's dark matter and it kills someone. It just it was just that for ten episodes and yes. that was it. Mm-hmm. I would say it's in my uh, rankings of the TV series overall. It's put Agent Carter beneath Daredevil. So with Jessica Jones at number one, Daredevil's now number two, and Agent Carter number three. Mm-hmm. And that is the unpredictability of how one season can lower the quality of the overall TV concepts. Well, Daredevil's next week. So, I mean, who knows what will happen to poor old Daredevil then? He could go up, he could go down. Who knows? It's so it's so unpredictable and so exciting in that way. It's like a competition, like <laughs> America's next top model. <laughs> Speaking of competitions, unless you have much more to say, would you like a quiz? Let's do a quiz. I feel like we've torn apart Agent Carter enough now and like everyone, everyone's crying about this. So let's, let's finish up with a quiz. Because they, you know, they're not, it's not bad. It's just not. Good. Not, not good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Firstly, number one, did you enjoy Agent God? <laughs> uh, it was, you know what? I, it was easy viewing and it, and that was nice. Um, but no, it was objectively not great. I think also because it was so dark, the last series we watched, this is so light. 
it's it was probably a difficult transition to make anyway maybe but I I I don't think that was the issue I think I was looking forward to a bit of lightness but you still need an involving story of course yeah so fair uh okay what do you think Rotten Tomatoes oh god 68 no it's actually much higher than that oh Um, is it oh 76 Oh, well, that's still quite low for something. It's only based on 21 reviews, to be fair. Oh, so yeah. Not many people spoke about it. I don't know if that is a good thing or a bad thing, but... Maybe yeah. Disney's like, you're not allowed to speak about it. Pretty much. It does feel like they do that, don't Now, my questions. What do you, what, what did you notice? How did they make Peggy seem very different to season one? Oh, I didn't notice at all. So they've changed her look quite a lot. Mm-hmm. and her I'll read you what Atwell said um, I think she's in a very different place emotionally because she's let go of the grief she had for Captain America hearts more open to possible romance and there's the visual aspect of it being shot in LA the light everything is lighter her clothes are different her hair is longer she's embraced Hollywood glamour um, of course it's going to get dark very quickly but she seems like she's very in a different place to how she was in the first series mm. I didn't really get much of that to be honest I liked the clothes. I will not lie. I, I did watch it thinking, I kept going like, oh, I could wear something like that to Paul's wedding. Oh, I could wear something like that to Paul's wedding. This is all I ever do now. I was like, that feels glamorous. I could wear that to Paul's wedding. Everyone just looks good in that era, according to when we, according to Hollywood producers who make stuff set in that era. They don't want to ever dismiss that that was the golden age of Hollywood, do they? No. <laughs> Nothing will ever rattle that. Um, so Whitney mm-hmm. is... She has an alias in the comic books. I don't know if you know it. Oh, no. The the crack. The crack. Mm, close. Madame, <laughs> Madame Mask. Oh. So she's a supervillain. Obviously, she doesn't have a mask in this. And also, interestingly, she's inspired by two people from real life. Can you guess who they are? Two real life people. Um, based on her interaction with, like, nuclearness, Madame Curie, Marie oh, Curie. That is a good shout. No, it's Hedy Lamar. Oh, okay. And he's someone whose name I can't really pronounce. Lauren Bacall. Bacall? Lauren Bacall. Yeah. Oh, oh, I wouldn't say she was the actress was like her, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, that's who they based it on. How many degrees lower is the temperature around Peggy, the Lady in the Lake, and so on? How many degrees lower? Yeah, there was like, oh, the temperature is different here. It's so many degrees lower than everywhere else in the room I can't that's my, remember that's my version of Howard Stark's voice by the way <laughs> I put this in just because I was like I was finding it hard to do basic trivia so it gets, <laughs> it gets better from here on out seven degrees okay I say it a few times um, I wasn't you, listening <laughs> Wilkes is um, from the comic books as well do you want to know do you, do you know who he was I don't know who he was but I'd like to know so it's actually interesting because the, the, the cover story they give him in this show, they say he's a communist spy. Uh-huh. So in the comic books, he's a scientist who is offered a million dollars by a communist agent to do an invisibility raid, Ray it, experiment. And right. he does because he's greedy. Um, so he does, the tre- he does the treason and then he accidentally becomes invisible and intangible and he can't turn the switch off. Oh, okay. And that, oh, that's interesting because they did almost make him quite villainous. Well, he yeah. does get a bit um, corrupted. That was the weird bit in the um, the musical where he was like, are you angry at me? And she's like, no, I'm not angry. I'm like, he literally pulled a gun on you. Like, just 
a few minutes ago. <laughs> he made a conscious choice to do that as well. Yeah, he did. He chose you over Susan. Anyway, they just basically. How long ago? Well, how many months or years after the events of the first series is this one set? It's like a year. Six months. Six months. Oh, okay. It wasn't long. I knew that. Yeah, you, you, I'll let you have a year, actually. Um, the, the show has been dubbed an informal crossover with another popular TV show. A Marvel one? No. Oh. A reality one. A reality one? Yeah. I don't know. Dancing with the Stars. Really? Yep. So <laughs> that's what they called it. And the dream sequence in particular, it's um, it's choreographed by... Louis Van Amstel from Dancing with the Stars, and it's got loads of their professional dancers in it. Hmm. So, I oh, don't know. fair enough. Is that an ABC show? That would make sense as to why they did that. Yeah, maybe. I don't. I've no. I've never watched an episode. I just know of it. Exactly. I mean, we have Strictly here. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't need to watch these other things. Um, how do you think Hayley Atwell responded when, or what do you think she said was the reason for the show's cancellation? Um. Was she like, the writing was crap? Yes. No, she didn't say that at all. She said, the network cancelled it because they wanted to put me in something more mainstream. Um, there's lots of online campaigns to bring Peggy back. Fans loved her. I think it was just a network economical thing. They wanted to put me in something more mainstream that's less genre-specific specific, and see if we can get higher ratings. So okay. she was put in a show called Conviction, which is a legal drama. Oh. Um and that was cancelled after a season as well. Oh, so, <laughs> and people don't really remember it. Was I guess people like Peg, Peggy has like a real army of fans. Like the Marvel fan base is really loyal to Agent Carter. Because you know? that was the thing that the big thing they got right with the whole thing was her character. Yeah, it was everything else was not quite falling into play. It wasn't you know lifting it up. Yeah, I I, I think it's a shame because I I love Peggy Carter. I think she's iconic. Yeah. And, it's the same it. it's the same ongoing problem that i think doctor who has in that as much as i love doctor who i think it, the writing hasn't been of the high quality it was in the david tennant era yeah but one thing they've always got right is the doctor themselves yeah the, like, the, the, the doc, like matt, matt smith peter capaldi and jody whitaker are all absolutely brilliant they're just saddled with some pretty shit episodes every now and then yeah i've read a really really nice line that summed it up for me it was like like they're all better doctors off screen than they are on and that's not their fault it's just that they're not given the work that they need to be doing yeah yeah i agree with that mm. um okay what does she hope that peggy's legacy will be Hayley atwell um that sh she will eventually get into the present day and the fans will want her so much and she'll lead the Avengers. I don't know. No, she did. I mean, she does mention that she, there's lots of people campaigning for it to come back, but she did say mm. uh, maybe in small ways, characters like Peggy have slowly paved the way for it to be possible for other female led narratives to exist. Yeah. Which I think That's... is probably true. I think so. I think, I think she's a really, yeah, really good female character. Um, like, to say she's strong sounds a bit patronising. It's like lots of female characters are strong in their way, but I think it's because she's not totally, although she has potential romance, she's not oriented around that. She's driven by saving the world. She's very much in charge and she knows what she's doing. Mm. Um, and people, sometimes people underestimate her, but the good characters don't. They all like, oh yeah, Peggy Carter's here. Uh, who Who is the secret 
council that meets at the arena club. The the the, the secret secrety people. The council of nine. Oh. And they they mentioned they're responsible for a few big world shaping events. Can you recall any of those? Mm, the atom bomb. No, but that's a good. They they probably are responsible for that. I, <laughs> they talk about the assassination of President McKinley. Oh, uh, okay. And they also um, say that they orchestrated the Wall Street crash of 1929. Oh, well, those naughty, naughty people. Little monkeys, aren't they? Um, mm. And a lot of people think these guys are connected to another villain situation, another villain in the Marvel Universe. Who is this? Uh, a villain group or a villain? I don't want to say because it would possibly give it away. Is it the, 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 the Ten Rings? No, it's um. Hydra. Oh, that would make more sense. <laughs> they, they denied. They would not say whether or not it was connected to Hydra. But the A symbol they use looks like the ancient Hydra symbols that they used. Oh. I went with Ten Rings because I was like, if they're the Council of Nine, it stands to reason that the next one will be the Ten Rings. That's good. I like that. The 11 squares and the 12 <laughs> ob- <Spears>. octagons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'll be our next Marvel spin-off. Um, <laughs> Dotty has been compared to a character from the DC universe. Uh, She's like the equivalent of one of Is it Poison Ivy? The Joker. Oh. No. Yeah, no, they've got reasons. Do you want to know? Both are open to this sadistic and homicidal maniacs. Um, both speak in deceptively friendly and cheerful tones. Um, both are only known by their code names. Mm. Uh, both are dangerously resourceful killers in spite of not having any clear superhero powers. Both are violently obsessed with the hero who opposes them and seem legitimately fasc- fasc- fascinated by them. A bit like um, Killing Eve, really. Yeah. And both are villains that the hero's gone out their way to save. Fair enough. I don't see it. But maybe I'm thinking too much of Heath Ledger. Yeah. And there are different guises of the Joker, aren't there? And then um, I guess my last question would be, what do you imagine happens? Like, Because obviously there is no season, two, season three. What do you imagine happens for our characters? Um, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I think it's it's perfectly viable that they might just forget about all the stuff they left or it could turn up somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. And in all honesty, if they don't pick up on any of the characters, I probably won't be crying about it in my sleep. <laughs> But there's one little thing that everyone was obsessed with at the time, and I think I've spoken to you about this before, like because like, of season one. They mm. were all obsessed with who is Peggy's husband, even though it really undermines the whole premise of the season and what it stands for. Yeah. <laughs> like, because they want to know, and they were like, is it Sousa? Do you think it could be? It's possible. I also, I'm, I, w- I would love it if it turned out that Tony Stark is also Peggy's son. I think that's that's a connection that I would enjoy very much very Star Wars but still it would be great because it would be like why has Tony not brought this up with Captain America at any point until now maybe he doesn't know ah he doesn't know he doesn't know it would be so good that would be like the complete wedge between them caused by that (laughs) awkward (laughs) I love your mum no (laughs) Yeah. And do you think you'll see Peggy Carter again? Peggy Carter again? Oh, yes. I'm sure she's she just gets her little cameos in the Marvel films every now and then. It's very comfortable for her. So that's true. Yeah. 
I don't uh, think they'll let her go too easily. No, and she's very, she's got a very good look, hasn't she? So it's, so I can see why, like Comic-Con, you'll always find like a million Peggy Carters. Mm. I like now you, yeah, you've seen her in at several different ages. You've got her in, you know, the original in Captain America film, then the Peggy Carter a few years on, then you've got Peggy Carter in Ant-Man, where she's sort of a bit older, then Peggy Carter in the second Captain America film where she's what well, I worked out she's like a hundred or something she's got so good in that woman <laughs> it's kind of she's kind of this constant like through the whole thing isn't she yeah okay we'll be interesting to see if your predictions come true well we go for we went from darkness of Jessica Jones to the lightness of Agent Carter we're now going back into the dark realm of Yay. of Netflix Ooh, Netflix uh with Daredevil season two and are you looking forward to it? I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think I'm. Uh, I because I remember with Daredevil, uh, I although it wasn't my favorite, I did still enjoy it. So I'm interested to see where things will go with this one. And also, it's nice to kind of alternate between dark whimsy, dark whimsy, dark whimsy. Definitely, and, and it's always a preference. Bloody whimsy again, because it's Agents of Shield. After then that. it's Agents of Shield after that. Yeah. <laughs> no, wait. We get a movie, don't we? We get a movie in between. We get Civil War. Thank God. That's okay. no Civil War. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I look forward to seeing what you have to say about it. Yeah. On to Daredevil. You've been listening to an episode of The Marvel Version. If you'd like to join in the conversation, you can tweet us at The Marvel Version. We hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll tune into the next fact filled episode. <laughs>